And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, City Church. It's so good to be with you this morning. My name is David Richter, and I am the pastor here at City Church. And if I've not had the opportunity to meet you, I would love to be able to do that. Uh, So please reach out to me. Um, One of the things that we love deeply here at this church, and we try to foster in every aspect of our church, is to have a a safe place that if you have any questions at all about Christianity, about faith, about life in this way, that uh, we would love nothing more than to be able to engage you. If you have questions about uh, the church service, I know that can be uh, a hard thing. If you haven't been around Christianity for a while or haven't been engaged uh, or maybe you've never been before. So if you have questions about even simple things, and there are no uh, bad questions in that way, and we would love to be able, I would love to be able to engage you. Uh, Again, my name is David Richter. My email is in the bulletin, so uh, please reach out, and I'd love to set up a time for that. Uh, it's, it's an interesting thing that Rob uh, mentioned uh, Linus uh, a minute ago, um, and it was something that I was actually thinking about this past week. Uh, that great story that we're probably all very well aware of, because we've seen it all of our lives on TV, uh, is actually a really powerful story about the gospel, uh, and it's meant to be that. Linus is one of the most anxious people in the world, right? He always has a little blanket with him. Uh, and he cannot let that thing go, and he's living his life in just severe anxiety in that way. Uh, but it's an interesting thing, and the author of that great story actually very purposely has a really powerful moment in that little short uh, TV show that we see every year, and that is when he begins to read the passage that we're going to be looking at today, he drops his blankie, and he lets it go. And you could see this incredible sense of peace come over him. Uh, And the wonder of the gospel, the wonder of this time of year, actually helps him uh, to engage in a way that is truly beautiful. And the reason we're here this morning is to do just that. Uh, We are spending this Advent season, uh, the four weeks leading up to Christmas and then Christmas Day, uh, uh, leaning into what this historic time of year is. Advent is a word that means coming. It is uh, our season in which we deeply think about and ponder uh, the wonderful story of how our Savior, Jesus Christ, has actually come into this world, and then he promises that he's going to return one day. And in this uh, world of this life, as we're living in between those two comings, uh, we get to ponder, we get to wait, we get to anticipate. Um, One of the great things about Christmas, right, is that something we don't often think about is that the anticipation is actually a beautiful thing, as we're waiting for that morning. It actually increases our joy. It increases our ability to appreciate that wonderful morning where we get to open our presence and and engage with our our family in just kind of an unbounding joy, right? That's why we love Christmas morning so much. But the anticipation of this time of year is very similar to that. It is to lead us to have incredible joy, have incredible peace, have incredible uh, love, have incredible hope 
in the midst of this season. And that's why we spend the season focusing on those themes and pondering them in the anticipation of the coming of our Savior in this world. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing uh, this morning as we dive into this passage. Uh, it's a special passage for me. It's the passage that we actually read every Christmas morning so that we can remember this story, not only remember it as a general story, but remember that this is our story as well. And we are a part of this great story um, and why we celebrate this time of year. Um, but before we dive in and seek to kind of try to understand uh, how this story can be an encouragement to us, and how these themes can, can be driven into our hearts so that we can actually have the things we're longing for this time of year. Let's pray and ask the Lord to be with us and ask him to reveal his great truth and hope and peace and love uh, in the midst of this broken world. Gracious Lord, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to come into your presence this morning. We thank you uh, for the way that you have um, broken in to our darkness with your light, that you have pierced through the brokenness of this world and that you have actually brought healing and peace and hope and love and mercy. And Lord, we just pray that you would meet us this very morning, that you would awaken us, that you would revive us, that you would draw us to yourself. And through your peace and love, Lord, that you would actually transform us by your grace um, so that we, O oh Lord, can rejoice like the angels do in our passage and the coming of our Savior. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was uh, preparing for this time and our time together this morning, uh, I was reminded of a story that I've heard in the past uh, of a, uh, a particular event that happened uh, in 1914 in the, right in the heart of World War II. Um, some of you may have heard this story before. It's actually a famous, very famous story of uh, a Christmas Day uh, truce that happened between the British and French soldiers and the German soldiers on the other side. Uh, as uh, if you've read any kind of uh, historic history of World War II, um, you'll know that it was one of the bloodiest wars in the history of mankind. And a lot of that is because uh, as the two sides were racing to try to cut each other off and get to the sea, they actually entrenched themselves in these great trenches. And that caused a kind of a stalemate to happen where they were just basically bludgeoning each other and killing one another for months and years on end without any hope of any kind of change that were to come. So they are uh, entrenched in this kind of reality of blood and brokenness, of suffering. Uh, and uh, a, a miraculous thing happened on Christmas Day in 1914. We're told that in the midst of this, in the midst of this suffering that they've gone through, this horrible, horrible, bloody situation, um, that that morning, or the night before on Christmas Eve, uh, the German soldiers actually began to sing Christmas carols. Um, and the French and English soldiers heard them singing that and began to sing them back to them. And this led uh, them throughout the night to be encouraged enough and emboldened enough that some of them were willing to actually stick their head out above the trenches and then crawl out to the trenches to see if they could actually see one another as they sang, and eventually they stood up and they met each other in the middle, and they sang together. Uh, they uh, exchanged gifts and trinkets with one another. Uh, in one section of the line, they actually played football with one another. In another section of the line, they actually helped one another take their dead and bury them, and then actually participated in each other's services of memorial, and they celebrated together. And it was an incredibly beautiful picture of the power 
that this season can have and the peace that it can bring into our lives in a really wonderful way. Few of us have experienced the kind of uh, desperate, bloody realities of trench warfare um, that is uh, World War II, right? But the truth is that many of us as well have uh, experienced great suffering, great brokenness in our lives. Many of us experience on a regular basis kind of the wonder of what it means to uh, know the sting of living in a broken world, uh, that there is great political unrest, that there is great cultural and racial unrest, military unrest around our world, that there is relational unrest around our world, that we know this and experience this on a daily basis. We have seen death, we've seen sickness and suffering in our culture. And that's been brought home in really powerful ways even in the last few years. Therefore, it's natural for us to, to resonate deeply with a story like this where we hear of the wonder of what this Christmas season can actually do in our lives. To have peace on earth and goodwill toward men like is proclaimed in this passage this morning. And that these soldiers experienced and want to share this Christmas magic with one another, right? We often think about it that way, this kind of uh, magical thing that happens. It's just in the air this time of year that we want to somehow get a hold of that can bring us the peace that we're desperately longing for. So if you're anything like me, what you want to do is you want to try to uh, cultivate and you want to try to curate, and you want to try to organize and prepare your lives this season uh, to try to get any kind of glimpse of that great peace and hope that you can possibly get, right? Uh, we organize events and parties, celebrations. Uh, we decorate and put lights and tinsel on everything as far as the eye can see, right? Just so we can get a side glimpse of what this peace is all about. And these efforts often result in beautiful glimpses of peace. It's true like the story that we looked at and talked about earlier. But the reality is that these glimpses never seem to last, do they? They didn't last in that story. Uh, the next day, the war resumed. The day after Christmas, we often find ourselves very depressed because we're right back in the reality of the brokenness of this world. And these efforts often, uh, beautiful as they are, right, lead us to even deeper depression in the long run. And despite our best efforts, this Christian season for many of us ends up being uh, a time that is often devoid of peace, devoid of the things that we desperately long for. Because we get so focused on uh, trying to create that for ourselves, trying to find it in other things, that it leads us in this kind of tension, this kind of frenzy that actually causes that peace to dissipate in really powerful ways. You all know this. As you're trying to decorate, you're trying to create the perfect celebration, the perfect event with your family or your friends or other things, uh, your passion for that actually leads you uh, to, uh, to fight with your family, to fight with others around you because it's not coming about exactly the way that you hoped it would be. And because it's not reaching your expectations, it leads to even more strife, even more brokenness. The dogs are barking, the kids are fighting in the back of the car. You have a fight with your wife on the way to some kind of party that's supposed to be a great celebration, right? We all know what that's like. We all know the sting of the disappointment that comes with that. And as a result, the hope of finding real lasting peace and the, the things that we're longing for this time of year seems to slip through our fingers oftentimes. 
And the question is, what do we do? What do we do in the midst of that? How can we have the lasting peace that we're so desperately longing for? How can we actually get a hold of the thing, that magical, beautiful thing that seems to shine through just in a little glimpse this time of year so we can have something that's truly lasting and can be real peace for the long run? Well, that's what I want us to look at this, this morning as we open up this passage. It's a beautiful passage, and the main theme about it, I would argue, is about peace. We're actually going to look at this passage in two parts, one today and then next week as well. We're going to focus on the angels and their proclamation today, and the next week we're going to focus on the shepherds and their response to that uh, leading up to the birth of Christ. So uh, today's theme is mainly going to be about peace. Next week is going to be mainly about joy um, because that's how the passage separates us up, but in four in order for us to really understand how this passage and how these angels in their proclamation of the coming of this child actually lean on this real peace that they're offering us here, we have to understand what peace is from a biblical perspective. And that's the first thing I want us to look at today. Typically, when we think about peace, we think about uh, kind of uh, in terms of a favorable kind of circumstances that we might have in our lives uh, that bring a kind of a sense of calm and tranquility. Right? Uh, you uh, may think about a day at the spa for some of you. You may think of like bubbling brooks, uh, or you may think of uh, the kind of chimes lightly, you know, brushing together in the wind and the sound that brings a sense of peace uh, and kind of uh, joy in the midst of that. A good book by a warm fire, sticking your toes in the sand at the beach, right, and listening to the waves kind of wash over uh, the shore. Those are all things that oftentimes bring me a sense of peace and tranquility in that way. Um, and it's not a bad thing to think about these things in that way. However, the only problem with this definition is the fact that it, uh, that, uh, it doesn't seem to fit within the circumstances of what our passage is talking about this morning, and nor does it seem to be things that are lasting as we are longing to see, as I've already said. If you look with me here at verse 9, you'll see that we are told that a group of shepherds were out in their field by night, minding their own business, watching their sheep as was their job, right? Uh, and when all of a sudden, an angel appeared to them out of nowhere. And what we are told here is that they were immediately filled with kind of a warm, fuzzy feeling of peace and tranquility, um, and they were glowing with joy in the midst of this time, right? No, it's not what it says. Uh, what does it say here in verse 9? It says that they were filled with fear in this moment. And in the Greek, it's actually a much more powerful statement. For Luke here employs uh, kind of a, a term, a kind of a double term in the Greek. Uh, one half of it is uh, the word phobos, uh, which we get the word phobia from, uh, this idea of fear. Um, and the other half of it is this word that means megas or mega. So what you're kind of looking at here is this megaphobic fear that they're experiencing in this moment as they're seeing this angel who's just appeared to them. And what we need to understand is these guys weren't just a little afraid. They were utterly terrified in this particular moment, so much so that, that we are told that the angel had to intervene and calm them down and assure them that the, he wasn't there to kill them, that he was actually there for their good. 
And how does this make sense? Well, uh, some of you have heard me talk about this in the past. Uh, one of our members here at the church, uh, Kate Whitley, uh, who is a wonderful artist, does a lot of things around the Christmas season as well, uh, has a whole thing on this. If you're interested in knowing more about angels and what they are really like and represented in the scriptures, you can go talk to her. She actually has some art uh, about them. Angels, uh, we typically think about as being kind of warm, uh, cuddly beings who kind of come uh, to us and, and make us feel all warm and cuddly. We think about them in terms of kind of Clarence and It's a Wonderful Life, right? Kind of the, you know, the, the non-scary, wonderful little bumbling guy that's helping us out. Or we think about it as those kind of precious moments like figurines that you can see at the store. At least I did when I was little. Uh, and they, uh, you know, really wonderful and they're holding little hearts and saying things like love at the bottom and those kind of things, right? These are kind of the ways that we think about angels. Uh, and this is the typical picture that I think our entire culture has of angels for the most part. Um, they're supposed to be all warm and cuddly like this. But the scriptures portray them in a very different light. In fact, the picture that the Bible paints of angels is anything but warm and cuddly. Uh, all throughout the scriptures, we are told that they are powerful and majestic warriors of light uh, that strike fear into the hearts and minds of anyone who sees them. In fact, over and over and over again, in almost every instance that an angel appears throughout all of the scriptures, the immediate reaction of anyone who comes into contact with them is to fall on their faith in utter terror and beg for their life. This is the reaction that most people have. And this is exactly the response that we see here in our passage. But it's not all. As if it weren't enough to see just one angel, right? And all throughout scriptures, that's usually the occurrence that you have. You like have an angel show up and it causes this much terror. Uh, Luke goes on to tell us here in our passage that a multitude of the heavenly host, a multitude of angels, appear behind this angel and begin to sing. So you can imagine, if they were as terrified with just one, how utterly terrified they are with a multitude of them appearing. And I can tell you, this was anything but tranquility and peace to these guys. And yet what we are told is that the angels were proclaiming and were there to proclaim that they had come to deliver a message of peace to them, not one of war, not one of uh, suffering or brokenness, or not one of aggression toward them. And the question is, how could that be? Well, the answer to this question can be found here by taking the time to understand exactly what kind of peace that they are proclaiming in this passage. For you see, the biblical idea of peace is actually much closer to the definition that we can find in the Webster's Dictionary around this kind of word of peace. Um, biblical idea of peace is actually closer to the definition of one that says that it is the harmonious state prevailing from the absence of war or conflict. I'm going to say that one more time. It's the harmonious state prevailing from the absence of war or conflict. If we're far from proclaiming some kind of warm and fuzzy, kind of uh, sentimental kind of peace in this passage, uh, these angels are actually proclaiming a military-style peace very similar to the one that we were talking about in my original story, right, in 1914. And if we take a closer look, what we can see here is that it makes sense within the context of our passage. Here in verse 13, Luke tells us that a multitude of the heavenly hosts appeared to the shepherds, as I mentioned a minute ago. And this word host in the Greek actually is a military term that means army. This is the army of the Lord that has appeared before them. We need to understand that. It's it's actually being made very clear within the context of the passage. 
And as a result, we need to recognize that the situation Luke is describing in this passage is closer to a military emissary that's being sent to these guys rather than kind of a, uh, kind of a friendly informational visit, you might say, about what is happening down the street. This is a military emissary that's coming to them to talk to them about what real, lasting, military-style peace could look like, as I've said. And this realization begs the question, what in the world is the conflict that is being addressed here if an army of the Lord has just showed up and they are proclaiming this kind of emissary of peace? If we take another look at this passage, we can see that Luke has given us some clues to actually help us answer this question. In verse 9, we are told that the angel that appeared to the shepherd was an angel of the Lord. And in verse 14, we are told that the message that the angels delivered was a message from God himself to them. And this, and it seems pretty clear because of this, that, uh, that these angels are not acting on their own, um, and that they were actually delivering a message from God, from his angels, from his warriors, to mankind. Now, I know that that is kind of a, a no-brainer kind of thing. It's the Captain Obvious kind of moment, right? But it's important for us to actually realize that that's what's going on here. Because the implication here is that the war or conflict that is being spoken of is a war or conflict that's happening between God and man. And that is something that's not always obvious to us. So the, and this fits within the message of the Bible as a whole. But we're told in the scriptures at the beginning of the story is that we, as human beings, as all mankind, rebelled against God and entered into a war with him. And that separated us from him. And all throughout history and time, this separation has existed between us. And it is truly a war in that way. We have acted toward God as if we were a military force trying to not only escape from his presence, but to actively overthrow him as in some kind of coup and make ourselves the Lord of our lives. That's the picture that the scriptures paint. C.S. Lewis, uh, in one passage talking about this reality, says this, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement, as we often think in our culture, right? He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. And that's very true according to the scriptures. The Bible says that we are rebels and war criminals who deserve to be brought to justice for our crimes against God. I know that's hard to kind of wrap your head around. Not the fun Christmas kind of message that you're used to hearing, right? But it's what the Bible actually says. And it's important for us to take this seriously and understand this if we're truly going to understand the message that the angels are bringing here and the hope that they provide. Because the penalty we deserve for waging war against God, we're told in the scriptures, is nothing less than death and eternal punishment. Yet despite the sobering fact, we are told that God sent his angelic emissaries to mankind in this passage to proclaim the possibility of peace to us. Now that sounds like pretty good news, right? But again, this realization begs another question. What do we need to do in order to get, on, get in on this situation? What do we need to do in order to get this peace that's being offered to us by the angels? And unfortunately, the angels don't seem to answer that question for us in this passage. They do not tell us or these shepherds anything about what they need to do in order to get this peace. All they do is proclaim the fact that the baby was born down the street from where they were at 
and that God's offer of peace is somehow connected to this child. Which, if we're honest, doesn't seem like it makes a whole lot of sense, right? You have a bunch of angels that show up in kind of a military-style embassy. They offer this incredible uh, uh, proclamation of peace and an offer of uh, the possibility of peace, and they sing about it, right? We're told that they have a huge song and kind of, uh, you know, this is kind of like, you know, majestic kind of like top-level kind of like choir thing that's going on here, and they're singing about this piece, and then they tell them that a baby's born down the street, but they don't tell them what they have to do in order to have this piece. So what's going on? Well, the answer to this question, I believe, is found here in verse 11. Because here in verse 11, the angel makes a critical statement, both to these shepherds and to us. And this is what they say. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. At first glance, this statement doesn't seem like anything particularly profound to our modern ears. But for the first century Jewish person like the shepherds were, it would immediately meant something really, really powerful. Something that they would have deeply understood. And the reason that it's so powerful is that these angels are revealing the identity of this child that they're pointing to. And the identity of this child is absolutely key to everything. Everything. If you don't understand who this child is, you will never understand how to have real peace and joy and hope and meaning in this world. You will never understand the proclamation that they are making here. You'll never understand how you can pierce through uh, the veil of the, uh, the kind of uh, generic uh, magical sensibilities of this time of year to actually find something that's real and true. The identity of this child is truly everything. And that's what we see here. First, the angel says that this child is a savior who is born in the city of David. And any good Jewish person during that time would have known that the city of David was Bethlehem, the birthplace of King David, who was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, king in the entire history of uh, the, uh, the Israeli, or the, not Israeli, the Jewish people. Uh, moreover, they would have also known that there is a number of prophecies, like the one in Micah 5, that says that out of the city of Bethlehem, uh, there was going to be a child that was going to be born, who would be a great ruler and shepherd of God's people, and who would ultimately save them from their sins and their enemies, and he would be their peace, is what it says there. He would be their peace. And this ruler was known as the Messiah, translated into the Greek as Christ, um, which you'll notice here is actually the second title that the angels give to this child. He is the Christ who is to come. So the angels here are not just proclaiming the birth of some random ordinary child. We need to understand that. They are proclaiming the birth of a long-awaited messianic king and savior, the one who God had promised throughout all time in history who would come and bring peace to his people by providing a way to end the war between God and mankind. And make no mistake, the shepherds would have known this and understood this fully. Therefore, what we need to understand here in the passage is that the answer to the question of how we can have this peace in this world, truly have this peace, is that the angels are offering is a question of how we, not, not what we can do to get it, but what God has actually done to provide it for us. And that's really important to kind of understand here. Uh, the angels are not telling the, the shepherds what they need to do to get this peace. Uh, they're not telling us what we need to do to get this peace. 
They're telling us what God has done to provide this peace for us. Now, that may seem really simple, but it is utterly, utterly vital to understanding this story and all stories in the scriptures. And it begs the question, though, what has been done for us? And what has been done for us, we're told, is that God has provided us with a Savior. How in the world, though, can this little bitty child in a trough in the middle of a backwater region of the world actually save us and end the war that exists between us and God? How can he bring us the peace that we desperately long for in this world? And again, I believe that the key to unlocking this question must be found fully understanding the identity of this child. And if you'll notice here in verse 11, one final title is given by the angel for this child, and it is this. Not only is he the Christ, but he's also Christ the Lord. And this title, Lord, in the Greek is actually a a word-to-word translation, or the best we have, I can explain some of the details of that, of the personal name of God, and that is Yahweh. And in this, Isaiah 7 tells us that the long-awaited Messiah, or Christ, will be called Emmanuel, who is God with us. And I can tell you that that was a confusing statement at the time, and it only makes sense within the context of this story. Because in this, the angels in our passage are proclaiming to us that something truly incredible has happened. As C.S. Lewis once said, once in our world, the stable had in it something that was bigger than our entire universe. For this child is and was God himself, come to live among us and to save us and to be our peace. For you see, the true peace does not come without a cost. We have waged war against God, we are told in the scriptures, as I've already talked about. And in order for there to be peace between us and him, justice must be done. That's not something we often think about. Right? We confuse justice with all kinds of different things in our world. Uh, we water it down. We think uh, that you can just sweep things under the rug in order to make things right in relationships and other things that happen within our lives. But God doesn't see things that way. He is a God of pure justice. In fact, we, our entire concept of justice is rooted in his identity and the way that he portrays this. And this kind of justice is incredibly important for us to understand. Because without that, we also can't understand this passage. As Martin Luther King Jr. famously said in his letter from Birmingham Jail, true peace is not merely the absence of tension, it is the presence of justice. True peace is not just the absence of tension, it is the presence of justice of justice, and that justice that we've already seen requires a great cost. It requires us to die for our sins. However, God loved us too much to let that happen, we are told in the story. So he humbled himself and became a man, allowed himself uh, to be born into horrible conditions, to actually leave everything that was great and powerful of his behind him, leave his great throne room in heaven to come into this world, in a backwater region of the world, And he did so, so he could ultimately satisfy the justice of God by substituting himself, we're told, for us. And dying the death that we deserve to die for our rebellion against God, our sin against God. So that he could pay the cost for our sins and that we could be reunited with God and actually experience the true peace that can only come from the gospel. And we can see this here in verse 14. 
We're told here in the passage that God, the angels are proclaiming a peace among those who, with whom God is pleased. Now, that's an interesting thing. It, you know, if you're just kind of viewing this, uh, this passage or the song that goes along with it in kind of a, you know, a, kind of a bland cultural way, um, this is kind of the Debbie Downer in the midst of the song, right? Like all this beautiful language about peace and joy and proclamations, and then you're like, wait a minute, it's only with those whom he is well pleased. And so the question needs to come, okay, well, whom is he well pleased with? And the answer is that he is well pleased with Jesus and all those who put their faith in him alone for their salvation. Because what we're told in the wonder, the miraculous wonder of the gospel is that when Jesus died for us, when he laid down his life for us, he actually gave us his righteousness. He gave us his glory in that way. And therefore, we are able to come into the presence of the Lord now and actually able to experience the peace from the war that has existed between God and man throughout all time. Now that is good news of great joy. That is the gospel. And that is what the proclamations of the angels in this passage are all about. God and sinners reconciled, it says. Not because of anything that we could ever do ourselves, but because of what God has done for us in the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And what we need to understand is that this is the reason that we no longer have any reason to fear in this world. How can the angels say that to them? They say it because of this passage. They say it because of the wonder of what he has done. And the beauty of that and the wonder of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross is this. This is not just a 24-hour armistice that he is offering us. It's not just uh, a celebration time where we can cover up the brokenness and the sufferings of our lives and of our world with tinsel and lights and forget that it happened for a few days, right? It's a peace that has been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ and as a result is an everlasting peace that will never let us down. Isaiah says this, for us, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this, we are told. That is a great story. It's what we celebrate this time of year. It's good to remember that. It's also good to ask ourselves the question in light of this great story, where is it that we're trying to find our peace this time of year? Are you looking for it in your ability to create the perfect gathering or to buy the perfect gift or to get that gift that you're so desperately longing for? Are you trying to find it and clinging desperately to the hope that uh, somehow you can cover up the suffering and brokenness in your life um, with a mountain of lights and tinsel? Or are you seeking for it in the coming of Jesus Christ? The message of the angels in our passage this morning 
is that only Jesus can give you the peace that we are so desperately longing for in this world. I don't need to spend an enormous amount of time explaining or like going through all the stories in history. Uh, you will never find it in success. You will never find it in gifts. You will never find it in the relationships of this world. It's why everything lets us down. It's why everything disappoints. It's why everything leads us back to the same place every year. But there is one hope that we have in this world, one peace that can actually provide. Well, the ultimate source of conflict in your life is not with the things of this world, it is with God. All the conflicts of this world are just side effects. They are uh, collateral damage of the reality of our brokenness of our relationship with the Lord and our God. And only Jesus can end that great war and actually restore us to right relationship with him forever. And that gift is available, we are told, in this passage and throughout all of Scripture to all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. For he, we are told, is our peace. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace with those whom he is well pleased. That is our hope this Christmas season, and that's what we celebrate. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we come to you this morning, and we, we are so thankful that we have the opportunity to look at these stories that uh, many of us have heard throughout all of our lives and have gotten so accustomed to and so used to um, that uh, we forget. We forget that they are much more real, much more authentic, much more hopeful, much more powerful than anything that we tried to make them into uh, in this tinsel sweet, uh, uh, nostalgic culture that we often live in this time of year. Father, we pray that you would pierce through the darkness of our nostalgia, the darkness of our fake celebrations, and that you would shine the light of your peace and your truth into our hearts this very day that you would bind us together as your people in the hope that we have been given in the peace that you have provided us in Jesus Christ, that you would build us up and that you would enkindle within us an anticipation of Christmas Day that would actually lead us to real peace this year and the hope that we have in you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.